Beruchim Abayim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem Yves Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir And we mean weekly um, Yeah, Fashis Chukas Yud Tammuz that's a leads up obviously to Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Tamuz. Hopefully, Mitchum will next week discuss Yud Beis and Gimel Tamuz. We'll discuss it next week. This Shabbos is going to be Yud. Today is Zion. Tonight is Zion. Today was Zion. Today was Zion. Um, yeah, Shabbos was Gimel. Monday was Dalit. Monday was Hay. Tuesday was Vav. Today was I. Kiddush Levana could have been done on Tuesday night already. Because it was seven days from the Melid. The Melid is measured in Israel and at St. Agdashan, the Holy Land. <clears throat> Therefore, since those who wait, those, for those who wait seven days from the Melid, last night already was seven days from the Melid. However, Excuse me, it is preferable to do Kirish Navana in Big Day Shabbos, in our Shabbos clothes. Therefore, <coughs> it's preferable to do it on Matzah Shabbos. This Matzah Shabbos is only Yud, as we said, so therefore there are still a few days to do Kirish Navana. <laughs> Mazel Tov. I don't know what it is, but it's a mess. Um, your check, if everybody's okay, please. <laughs> Might be a little cloudy on Shabbos or Sunday, but okay, hopefully it should work. Um, but Kirish Lavana can be done up to the temple of Lachedish. Zeitz Chukas Hatayda. Teda tells us that God spoke to Moshe Aaron. And the Tater commands us to use the ashes of the Para Aduma, the red heifer, for the ritual of purification of the people that became Tommy, Tommy the Nefesh of Mace. Also, for any garments, any other article, articles that became Tommy need to be sprayed by this mixture. Zeis Chukas is considered a chayik. We explained many times the difference of the three types of mitzvahs, Chukim, Mishpatim, and Edus. Chukim are mitzvahs that we do not understand. It's above rational reason. Shleim HaMelech himself says, Shleim HaMelech considered the Chacham, the Kaladam, the wisest of all men. All the Torah commandments, he says in Mishle, in Kehelis, I'm sorry, all the Torah commandments I've comprehended, the chapter of Parah Duma, although I examined it, and I questioned it, and I searched it, 
I thought I was a chacham, but it still remains far from me. But still, the Torah introduces it as this is the decree of the Torah. Not just Chukas Paraduma, but referring to the entire Torah. This is the decree, this is the decree that is, gives us the inexplicableness, inexplicableness to all the mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are in essence expressions of Devishtah. What Avishta wants, because that's what he wants. So the relevance of a mitzvah is not necessarily because you understand why you're doing it, you understand what comes the outcome is. There are mitzvahs, Avis, Shpatim. That we understand. We understand why we're doing the mitzvahs, why we're doing what happens, what's the outcome, etc. <coughs> but in the core, at the core of the mitzvah, the mitzvah still has a concept of chukim. The ultimate pur- purpose, why it transcends to God. Now we understand why God did not reveal the reason of Paraduma. Even to the Shleim HaMelech. Because if every aspect of Teda was explicable, you could explain it, understand it, then a Jew would always rationalize everything. Always rational, there's always a rational Jew... would look at a mitzvah that has to do Mesidus Nefesh self-sacrifice, abnegation and he would say ah, it's irrational therefore the para, mitzvah paraduma which is the mitzvah of the teda zeizchukas ha tells us and reminds us teda is done on a basis of something that devotion that has to be bekabolos el we need to undertake it for ourselves. This is how it has to be done. And it's used, as we said before, to purify. But the Teda, interesting, says that this is the paraduma of Meshe Rabbeinu. In other words, they had to bring it to Moshe. The ashes actually were prepared by Eloza. They weren't prepared by Moshe. And the truth is that it says the only one that understood Paraduma was Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe's devotion to God we would say was done through permeance. Permanence. There was nothing in this world that caused Mesha's commitment to Hashem to either waver or to become weaker. Therefore, 
everything is associated with Meshach Rabbeinu. Because what Meshach Rabbeinu did, if you keep in score at home, you'll see on Masech Tesaita, the Aftesam and Aleph, whatever that Meshach did was Kayam Le'ad. So much so, the Meshach Rabbeinu built the Mishkan, the Mishkan never got destroyed, the Mishkan ultimately was hidden away. And again, later in the Yomara and Seita, again, if you're keeping score at home, at 13 side B, in Gimel Amit Beis, the Yomara says, matter of fact, the Meshach never died, Meshach Le'Meis. Although it's written, Meshach died over there, when it's elsewhere, it's written, and he was there was with God. And therefore, we learn out that just like over here he was serving God, he was standing, so too over here he was standing, and therefore Mesha never died in essence. And likewise, the same thing with Mesha's ashes of his paraduma. It outlasted all the others, says the Medish. When they brought another paraduma, which we'll soon discuss how many there were, in all the later generations, First, they were purified. The Kayan that was doing this is purified by the ashes that were left over from Meshach's Paraduma. So, automatically, we understand that this mitzvah was attributed to Meshach. Because it needed to elevate and purify the impurity of death. And this whole service was done through Mesha. The Paraduma had to be a Paraduma Tmima. The Kayan, as we said, that sprayed the Paraduma became Tommy. The people that were sprayed became tired, and he became tummy. This is one of the reasons that it's considered a chayk. It's the bewilderment of this whole thing is based on just that. That we did not know the chayk being a fact that the same water made pure, made people pure, made people impure, impure. We see in the Medish. According to the Medish, the reason for the Paraduma was it's a tshuva that does tshuva it atones for the, the Aveda of the, the Egel Azov. The Medish says, Let the cow come and atone for the calf. And this cow refers to, of course, the Paraduma. And it's atoning for the calf, being the Egal Azov. Chazal tell us that by Matan Teda, the Gezeda of Misa was nullified. The decree of people having to die was taken away. And therefore, in essence, people were supposed to live forever. However, says the Shemesh Rabbah, the Medrash, 
because of the Chet Egel, that ruled it for everybody. Wow. So the sin that caused death, part of the Egel, is atoned by the cow, the Paraduma. What is the Paraduma then doing? It is purifying the concept of death. This is why the Rambam explains that in the time of Mashiach, the tenth paraduma will be brought. What's ten? Ten signifies, symbolizes completeness, perfection. Since the mitzvah of paraduma is to purify and to uh, elevate the impurities brought about by death, Bila Movis Lenetzach Yeshayo says that the death will be swallowed up forever. When will that happen in the time of Mashiach? And therefore the tenth paraduma will make us pure. It'll make us pure not only from the effect of the death. Not only because the person became Tomei, impure because of death, but even more so from death itself. Let us discuss this very Rambam. Rambam in Yad says, I only talk halacha. Rashi says, and he does Peter, she does only Pshut Shamikra, the simple explanation. Rambam says, I discuss pure halacha. Laws. Yad hachazoka. And he's precise with his wording. However, when it comes to discussing the laws of the Paraduma, the Rambam deviates from his regular language. And the Rambam writes, Teisha Paris, there were nine heifers that offered at the time they were commanded to fill this mitzvah until the destruction of the second Beis Hamidash. First was brought by Mesha, the second was brought by Ezra, seven others were offered until the destruction of the temple. Then says the Rambam a very interesting expression. As we said before, the Rambam says, and the tenth will be brought by the Melech HaMashiach. <coughs> the tenth will be brought by the King Mashiach. And the Rambam finishes, Sheyavai bimheira v'yameinu v'yegaleinu Omein ken yehi ratzayin. May speedily be revealed Amen, so may it be God's will. Now, you're talking here about halachas. You're telling us halachas, you're telling us halachas of the paraduma, the different laws involved with it, etc. And then you tell us that it's going to be, that there were so many and the tenth one is going to be all understood. This all fits into the, to the flow of halacha. Talking about the flow of halacha, you're talking about fine, you're talking about how many paradumas were there? 
Why is it necessary to explain that according to halacha? What do we have to know today when it comes to halacha? I guess if we know the first one was through Mesha, the second one Ezra, then seven more, and he doesn't elaborate where the seven, who the other seven were. Just writes until the destruction of the second temple. Fine, everything is fitting here. It's the history of Paraduma. And then to tell us the tenth one will be when Mashiach comes. Un, un, not uncalled for, but unquestionable. That that's definitely something important to tell us. Fine. But what's with the bracha here? What's with the tefillah in the middle? Why is all of a sudden we're getting a prayer? What does this tefillah have to do in the middle of the Jewish law? <coughs> and if you didn't talk about it, there's Hilchus Malachim. In Hilchus Malachim it talks about Mashiach. The end of the Ramah we discuss Hilchus Malachim, we discuss the kings, and ultimately the king Mashiach. What is this coming in here to tell us about the tenth, the tenth eagle, and why the tefillah? The Rambam is teaching us halacha, and he does not miss a beat. He's teaching us constantly halacha, and here he's teaching us yet one more halacha. What is that halacha? The fulfillment that's expressed with such spontaneity. In Hilchas Malachim, as we said before, Rambam writes, Perikir Aleph, Halacha Aleph, it's a fundamental principle of Jewish belief, Jewish faith, to believe the coming of Mashiach. That the redemption of the Bnei Yisrael will come through Mashiach. And and we need to anticipate and constantly yearn for the arrival of Mashiach. Not only in concept, conceptually, but posture emotionally. A Jew needs to feel the sense of Geula and that the Jewish people will be redeemed, and needs to understand how critical it is that the Jewish people be redeemed. And without this belief, and without this concept of redemption, we're pushed suffering. And the person that doesn't believe in it, his life is lacking. He's not complete. And therefore the person needs to understand that he has to be anxious. We get anxiety for all the different things in the world. People get anxious about, oh, the little stussum of the world, they get anxious. We need to be anxious, Ad Mosai, we need to cry out, when is Mashiach coming? When are we getting redeemed? We can't go on like this anymore. The Jewish nation can no longer hold out from this pain. So much so, when Mashiach is mentioned, person needs to get emotional. Person needs to get emotional. When I hear the mentioned Oh, the Mashiach is coming. Or when I hear the mention, we're going to go today with Mashiach. 
It shouldn't be something like, oh yeah. So what? Say the M word again. It's a full letter word, Mashiach. No. One needs to push it yet emotionally anxious when he hears the mention of Mashiach and knowing that Mashiach is not standing in front of us, Mashiach is not blowing the shefer, Mashiach is not taking us out right now out of this exile. Now we understand why Rambam put in the tefillah here. That it should be immediately the revelation of Mashiach. Even though it had nothing to do with these laws. Because he said, the tenth part of we brought in the time Mashiach automatically flows when you say word of Mashiach, Zalakum in height, let him come today. So the Rambam is demonstrating the intense yearning that one needs to have for the coming of Mashiach. Can't do it color. That's you, is this one. Give it to her. So he shows living proof, says the Rambam, that halakhically, when you mention the word Mashiach, like, he should come already. So although he's writing a book only of halakhas, He's showing us within his halachas a halach, a, a, a important, relevant halacha to each and every one of us on a daily life. That we need to constantly think, we need to constantly daven, we need to constantly say an imam in bemuna shleimo beviyah For those who don't say the an imamins, at least they have to know it, and they have to understand it, and they have to rely on it. And they have to understand that this is something that's a fundamental existence of our life. Pashas Kukas has some horrific stories. Besides for the Paraduma that was running around, we ultimately run into major, major problems here. Meshur Rabbeinu runs into a major problem, major dilemma. Pasha discusses first the passing of Arnakein, which the Ananiya Kovid dissipate for it, and also the passing of Miriam Hanavia, which therefore the May Miriam disappears. Let us first discuss the passing of Arnakein. After the passing of Arnakein, says the Teda, Bamidbar, chapter 20, verse 29. Perichov Pasikov Tes Vayivku as Aharin Shlishim Yem Kil Beis Yisrael. They cried for Arnakay and the entire Jewish nation for 30 days. Not his family, not just his children, not just the people that he, his friends. The entire nation cried for the passing of Arnakayan. What impact did Arnakayan have on the entire nation of the Jews that for that the entire nation cried? The Medrash tells us, and others that have listened, 
Aaron was particularly loved by the entire Jewish nation. He was active in restoring peace between disputing parties and quarreling families. Just imagine. Today's day and age, you have hundreds, probably thousands of rabbis that deal with Shalom bias issues, domestic issues at home. And they sit and talk and counsel couples. And they counsel businessmen. And they give advice between the businessmen how to deal with disputes between them and their partners, between them and another business. Rabbis that sit on judgments on cases where they come in and they say, Rabbi, Rabbi, my car was all smacked up by him. And the other fellow, and he asked the other fellow, did your car hit his car? And he says, yes. He says, why did you do that? He says, Rabbi, I'll tell you the truth, I pulled up to park in a parking space. And when you park, you need to do parallel parking. So which parallel parking means, you need to pull up in front of you, to the car in front of you, be parallel, stand from the parallel position of that car, and back into your spot. I finally found this spot. It was a commodity, and there was no fire hydrant, there was no no standing sign, and there was no driveway, etc. Just imagine some places that's a very big commodity. And I put on my blinker that I'm going to park, and as I started to back up, this guy came zooming in from the back of me and decided he's going to steal the space from me. But I was already in reverse. I don't have a backup camera in my car. And as I was backing up, he pulled in, and I hit him, I smacked into him. It was not on purpose, I had no intention to do so. But because I'm driving a 1979 Buick Electra, which is made of a total different stuff than his, his, his Toyota Prius, his Prius practically split in half when it hit me. But it's not my fault. I was backing up into my parking space. I was signaling. He probably didn't recognize the signal on the back of the car. Because today's days, the signals do everything but sing and dance. And <clears throat> these disputes come to rabbis on a constant basis. So people that have to be dealt with all the different shalom bias and divorces and so there are hundreds of rabbis, thousands of rabbis that deal with this. Aaron single-handedly dealt with this with the entire Jewish nation. What did he do? We spoke about this before. He'd go over to one of the parties and say, Oi, Nebuch, Chaim. I just saw Shlema. I understand you guys are in some kind of dispute here. And he's so ashamed. He feels so bad. And he doesn't know how he's going to ever face you again for what he did. And this would ultimately awaken instill feelings of reconciliation. And he did this on both sides of the coin. And because he did it on both sides of the coin, then when ultimately the two of them met, they fell on each other's shoulders and they said, I'm sorry, I, I really didn't want this to happen.
and their friendship would be established. Meiridik. What a phenomenal thing to do. And the Gemara tells it several times, many times actually. But one notable one is in, if you keep your score at home, Yavam is Samachayim and Beis, 65 side 2. And the Gemara tells us one can modify the truth for Shalom. For it comes to peace, person can modify the truth. Not talk a lie. Don't go out and falsely say, say something. Although we find with Avraham Avinu and Sarah Imenu, when Hashem asks, it says that Sarah will bear a child, Sarah says, how can I possibly bear a child? Avram is so old. And Hashem comes to Avram and says, why is Sarah so doubtful that she can bear a child? Because she thinks she's too old. So the question commentary is asked immediately. She didn't say that. She said about Avram being too old. And the answer is that Avram, that Hashem didn't want to cause Shalom by his problems between Avram and Sarah. And distorted her words. Did he say a lie? He modified her words. However, Arnakein who told each party how the other person felt so bad, and almost he almost heard them saying it, he sees it on their faces, this is an outright blatant lie. So how did Arnakein tell a lie even if it is for peace? The fact is, that yeah, it sounds wrong, it sounds pretty bad. But Aaron was not lying. In Hilchus Gedish, the Rambam says, when it comes to divorces, that in certain cases, in certain cases, Bezin can force the person to say, I want to give this get. Sometimes the husband comes in, he's very uncooperative, he doesn't want to give the get. So we try to bribe, we try to talk, we try to convince. <laughs> I hope I never have to use this tactic, the brilliant tactic that was presented the other day by a woman. Don't get the invitations wet, please. Was she went to the husband, or she sent to the husband. I shouldn't tell it. Okay. Never know who he is. So when it comes to the get, we try to coerce and convince and fight with the person to make sure that they give the get. And there are times, unfortunately, a few years ago, there was a case where they got physical with somebody. 
And the person stood up for his rights and the, what he said was his rights and he went to court and he had them arrested and it was a horrific thing that Rabbanim were going through terrible problems. But in the olden days, someone didn't want to give a get. They were taken and tied to a tombstone overnight and left there overnight until the fear of God was put into them. Now, let's get real. After forcing and convincing this person to never get... How could you say it's actually Reitzahani? It's actually willing. The Ramam explains the essence of a Jew desires to do a mitzvah always. A Jew wants to observe all the mitzvahs and he wants to refrain from doing Averis, prohibitions. So when he agrees on the pressure to do a mitzvah, it's only bringing out the true essence of his, of his existence, his true innards of his life, his true desires. And therefore, when he says, okay, I'll do it, he means it. Because really he wants to do it, because he, he knows it's a mitzvah and a teda, and it's an aveda to hold back. And so is regard to every mitzvah that a person could possibly do. For example, after the Reacha Kamecha, love a fellow Jew. <laughs> Told the story also, who knows how many times. A fellow that came to Shul and right before Shabbos. And Shabbos is ready, the, the siren went. And he reaches in his, he's touching, he's checking his pockets now. He forgot to check them, he left his house. And he sees in his shirt pocket he has a hundred dollar bill. Shabbos almost. What's he going to do with his money now? So he takes out a chumash and he puts it inside the chumash by the pasuk of the seder sadibis leisignev. He shall not steal. What can be safer than that? The person will open the chumash, see leisignev, and say, "Oh, I wouldn't take this money." Anyway, Shabbos goes by. I can't tell you he wasn't thinking about that hundred dollar bill the whole Shabbos. And he opens up the Chumash, the Leisignev page, and Hayala Deinano, the hundred dollar bill is not there. How disheartened, how disappointed he was. How could a Jew be so coarse? How could a, be, a Jew be so uncaring? How could he go against the laws of the Torah when he sees it with his very own eyes, Leisignev? But as he turns the Chumash absentmindedly, he sees... By the Pasuk, love your fellow Jew, as you love yourself, he finds a $50 bill. Every Jew wants to do the mitzvah of So when Aaron spoke of the love between two Jews, he saw it as an obvious reality. Outwardly, they didn't behave that way. So although Arrakein's words were perhaps an embellishment of the truth, it was definitely not a lie. Because deep down, a Jew does not want to hate another Jew. Deep down, a Jew wants to forgive another Jew. 
And we find the same similarly at the end of the Pasha. Horrific, horrific story breaks out. And Meshe Rabbeinu hits the stone to get the water flowing. And Taylor tells us that the Eden started a revolution, a little mini civil war here, and God was not happy with him. And God ultimately sends out a snake, a scorpion, that runs rampant and starts to kill the Jews, biting and killing Jews. Ultimately, Vayas Meisha makes the mold of a copper scorpion snake. Rashi immediately says, the Pasuk said he made it out of a snake. Wasn't told to make it out of copper, only Meisha said. The Almighty said, Nachash, and I made Nachashas. Nachashas with the word Nachash as its root. So allow us to delve into the actual oration, the actual Pasuk, what the Abish had told Mesha. Aseilacho Sorof. Make for yourself a sorof. A sorof is a bigger scale of a snake. Davis does not mention Nachash. And Rashi still writes, he explains, Hakadish Baruch Ukeri Nachash. Davis called it Nachash. And we see, therefore, how, so the question becomes, where do we see that Mesha was told by the Abish to make a Nachash? He was told a Sarof. We can explain this according to what the Razal say. The sages tell us, Shalu Lateda Chaita Manche. As the Teda, a person that sins, what's his punishment? Omar Teda says, Yavi Osham Vizchapeli. Let him bring a carbon, a sacrifice, and he'll be forgiven. Then they turn and ask the Almighty, if a person sins, what is his punishment? How does he get out of it? says, the Almighty says, Yase Tshuva Vizchapeli. Let him do tshuva, let him repent, and he'll be forgiven. It's brought down in different svarim and commentaries that ever brings down. The explanation to this is, when it comes to Teda, it's based on boundaries. Medidis Hagvol is measurements, shiurim, how much a person has to have in the field, how much a person has to have tzedakah, how much a person has to have in the field, how much a person has to have in the field, how much a person has to have in the field, how much a person has to have in the field, how much a person has to have in the field, how much a person has to have in the field, how much a person has to have in the field, how much a person has to have in the field
all the different measurements, but Teda gives us in the mitzvahs. So therefore, the Teda cannot tell you that the strength of tshuva in itself is enough to forgive for a sin. For only through a carbon that was brought, a sacrifice brought after repenting, then a person can be forgiven. Because within the power of tshuva, of repentance, he causes, says the Altarebbe in Tanya brings down, that he makes Hasdainis Yasukishkogis. These sins that were, were marks against him become merits at this point, elevated in such a way. And then, sorry, these things that were done on purpose are now considered as if they were done by accident. And then the sacrifice that he brings forgives a, a sin that was done by accident. However, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty, He's higher than all these things. He's above all these measurements. Who tells the Abisha what to do? And we also know that with all the things that you're going to do, all the wrong that you're going to do, what are you going to affect the Abisha with? And therefore, the Abisha says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Tshuva itself is enough to turn everything over. To make it Nasus Denis Kizachis. To make the Avedis that he did till now literally as if they are merits for the person. The Zaya tells us that the Nachosh represents the Yetzirah. And this Nachosh. Hot chocolate. This Nachash turns over everything. All that is good, all that heals, all that gives life. However, when Moshe built this Nachash, this copper one, and put it up above high, anyone looking at it was saved. Why were they saved? Because they were looking up. They were looking up, they were automatically looking up to heaven. They looked up to our Father in Heaven, automatically they were healed. The Abish therefore doesn't mention Nachash. The Teda shouldn't say Nachash because the Teda does not accept only repentance. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu can call it Nachash. Because the strength of HaKadosh Baruch himself is to turn over the Nachash, that scorpion, that snake, that serpent, and cause it to bring life. 
Nachash itself, though, because Rashi says, I say the Chasarov, Rashi says, Amru Rabbi Seinu, Chinachash Mimis and Mechaya. The Nachash gives life or death. But when the Jews, Ali Shimizman, Shay Israel, Mistakim Kapimaila, Umishabdin is Nibom, Lavim Shashmaim, Hayim is Rapim, Vim Lav, Hayu, Nimukim. When the Jew looked up to heaven, and he connected his heart to the Father in heaven, he was saved. If not, Chashashom, this is our service to God. Nochash makes reference to death. Because death came into the world because of the sin of Eitzadas. Which was done through the snake. And if this sin would not have come about, death would never have come about. Be'itav shal nochash. You might have to keep your score at home. Shabbos, nun heyam is base. 55, side 2. But still in all the Almighty commands, I say the chasorov, which is the nochash, and from this you will derive life. From that very essence that brought about death, you will get life. The complete extreme opposite. From one end to the other. Turning death into life. The Chazal tell us, the heretics' names will be obliterated. For they deny that there will be the resurrection of the dead. So the form of the Nachash that kills the Almighty made Tchiyas HaMesim. If you're going to ask, like we said before in Rashi, V'chi Nachash Mechaye, how is it possible? We know Nachash is That's death. Therefore the Chacham tell us this happens through Tshuva. Through repentance. The Zaya tells us the Nachosh, as we said before, the Yitzhara. When the Jews attached their hearts and they caused the Nachosh himself, that he too should attach himself to Kedusha, then this very Nachosh Mamis, this very deadly, lethal, Snake is turned over to bringing life. It's Mechaya because it's attaching to Aviyam Shiva Shemayim. And that is what Shuva can do. It turns over and it heals from one extreme to the other. At this point in time though, when the Jews were 
going through a tremendous, tremendous prob- big problem here with a snake running around rampant, killing people. Moshe's ultimate solution was prayer. People came to Mesha. They said, we sinned. We spoke against God and you. So ultimately, Mesha starts to pray for the nation's sake. He's praying to save their lives. Realize what Mesha was put through with these people. <laughs> he didn't just go through one day of a problem. Hmm. Somebody had a bad day, a bad hair day, and they came and made him crazy. He just spoke against God and Mesha. And it was so severe that they ultimately, as we said now, were attacked by a venomous snake. Or many. Rashi says, from here we learn the one who is asked to forgive should not be cruel about pardoning. If someone asks somebody, Mechila, person should not be wicked and cruel and say no. From where? From the case of Moshe Rabbeinu. The mother, on the other hand, has a different source. Something much earlier in history. We see Avram prays for the healing of Avimelech and the household who were punished when Sarah was abducted. And the Mishnah, if you keep your score at home, Baba Kama, Ches Mishnah Zayin, says, where do we learn? The one who is asked to forgive should not be cruel. It's written, Avram prayed to God, and God healed Avimelech. So now this has a question in Rashi. We learned this already from Avram. What more can we learn from here? Something here, if Rashi is commenting the way he's saying it, implies that Moshe did something that Avram didn't. The difference between them is Natalia's emphasis. Moshe prayed on behalf of the people. Avram forgave Avimelech to the extent that Avimelech would not be punished for his actions. Mesha, on the other hand, prayed on behalf of the Jews, Bnei Yisrael. He forgave them and prayed for them for their for their, their well-being. As if they never did anything before. As if they didn't sin. And therefore, God's response to Mesha's prayers 
are that level of forgiveness. And he instruct, instructs Moshe to make this brass serpent, put it on a pole, and anyone that looks at it will be, will be healed. And this is what Ashi explains, that when the Jews looked up to heaven, they were healed. So therefore we see Moshe's concern for the Jewish nation. Not only did it cure them of their punishment, but they rehabilitated. Rashi therefore learns that Moshe, from Moshe himself, we cannot be cruel when it comes to forgiving. When it comes to pardoning somebody, a person needs to be generous, not cruel, not begrudging, should harbor no resentments. If a person comes and asks forgiveness, whoever it is, whatever they did, a person should not only forgive, but should wish well. Should wish well upon the person and say the person should only have good. This is a very, very difficult task, a very difficult level to ascertain. But this is what Meshe Rabbeinu teaches us how a person has to behave. A very interesting story I read lately how a shidduch came about. And since today's day and age, there are many people plagued with the concept of shidduchim, lack of, lack thereof. Maybe I propose to tell the story. In Israel, it's very commonplace. People take, in the way of travel, they take a joint taxi today they're coming about in America already also the two gentlemen one from Belgium and one from Yerushalayim Rakedish Meheri Yabane were sitting in a taxi together Needless to say, Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem, Shalom. Vanakum Tayyid, from Antwerpen. Aich, Yerushalayim. Good. Tell me, Rabbi Yid, what brings you to Yerushalayim? So I'll tell you the honest truth. They have a child, a son, it's getting older and older. Normal boy. Shiva boy, everything's normal except his handicap. And he's a shidduch. Otherwise, he's a normal guy. He does everything like everybody else. So we went to New York this past summer. I went to the Rebbe, 
We asked him for a bracha. The Rebbe gave us a dollar with a bracha. And the Rebbe told us, here's another dollar to give an answer to show. In the Holy Land of Israel. Well, we thought nothing of it. We thought, Pasha, the Rebbe must have thought it looked like foreigners. Foreigner must be Israeli. Give it to Israel. Towards the end of Yom Tov, my wife says, you know, the Rebbe didn't make mistakes. Let's go to Israel and give the dollar. And give Tzedakah there. So here I am. I came to give Tzedakah. And that's why I'm here in, in Israel. It's the story of the guy from Antwerp. The Yerushalmi is sitting in the car. Starts mumbling to himself. Starts getting very nervous. The violin, the guy from Antwerp, is telling the stories. He was looking out the window, seeing the scenery, checking out the sights. But suddenly he turns and he sees the guy from Antwerp. This is the guy from Yerushalayim, looking very nervous. He's mumbling to himself, I wonder. So what's going on? So I'll tell you the truth. I was now Tishrei in Etzel, in America. I went to the Rebbe by Lekach. And I told the Rebbe, my daughter needs a Shidduch. And the Rebbe said, very soon you will hear good news. <coughs> I came back for Sukkot. Etzel. My daughter, he says, the guy's daughter is also handicapped. P.S. Shortly thereafter, they broke a plate. <laughs> so we need, we see, we need to understand and realize that Shkacha Pratis rules throughout the world. And therefore, our mission is a tough mission, but a mission that's not unconquerable. May Hashem forgive us all for all that we've done. May Hashem send us that sign that we should all look up to heaven. And as the Ramam says, Shabbat Shalom to all.